would please turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. We will have a word of prayer, then we'll read the word of the Lord. The first 11 verses is our focus as we begin to slowly digest this wonderful, wonderful book. I have become more and more aware of what the Lord is doing through this letter. Uh, this letter is very passionate to me. Um, and it means a lot to me in this text. And um, it has been uh, a desire of mine to, to preach this book. Um, a desire that was kindled about 10 years ago. Um, but you have to do 1 Corinthians to do 2 Corinthians. And um, so uh, we wandered through 1 Corinthians in about eight years plus, And now we begin 2 Corinthians. Let's have a word of prayer and the word of the Lord. Father, we come before you, the author and the finisher of our faith, to hear from our brother, to hear from Paul, his divine words, and this messenger that you've graced us with. And Father, may we, as Paul was comforted, may we be comforted. And yet, Father, may we be realist. May we understand the age. May we understand the war. May we understand the adversary. And yet, Father, in all of it, with gratitude to be a part of the kingdom with joy of our salvation and the privilege to serve and the grace and peace that surpasses understanding guarding our hearts and minds in Christ. Help us, Lord. Help us to hear. Help us to walk. Help us to long for you in Christ and Christ alone. Amen. Beginning in verse 1. Paul an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, with all the saints who are throughout Achaia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our afflictions so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ. But if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. Or if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which is effective in the patient enduring of the same sufferings, which we also suffer. And our hope for you is firmly grounded, knowing that you, as you are sharers of our suffering, so also you are sharers of our comfort. For we do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction which has come to us in Asia, which we were burdened excessively beyond our strength, so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, we had the sentence of death 
within ourselves so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, who delivered us from the great peril of death and and will deliver us. He on whom we have set our hope and he will yet deliver us. You also joining and helping us through your prayers so that the thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the favor bestowed on us through the prayers of many. This is an amazing letter. I mean, that basically right there, those first 11 verses are the introduction. I mean, normally you get uh, Paul, apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, Timothy, our brother, to the church of God, which is in Corinth, and all the saints who are throughout Achaia, grace and peace to you and God the Father. That's usually the introduction. Um, But the Apostle Paul has just come out of a tough place. There's been a riot in Ephesus. He has been run out. The church has been scattered. He had gone to Troas, and a door for the ministry had been opened, but he was so heavy and burdened in spirit, so depressed, so overwhelmed, that he went on to Macedonia to try to find out what had happened to everybody. There he was comforted by Titus. Okay, the riot had been so massive that they thought they were going to die. I don't know if you've ever been in a riot. I do not encourage it. I do not think that we should seek it out and experience it. Um, and yet they become strange issues. Uh, the mob mentality or the the pack mentality. And yet the Apostle Paul had been through this. He was struggling over what was going on in the church in Corinth. He was struggling with what was going on in the church throughout the underbelly of Europe that he had been planting. And he was literally in the middle of trouble. He became the proverbial lightning rod of trouble. And yet in all of that, he's filled with praise. He's filled with thanksgiving. He's filled with joy. He's filled with comfort. He's upbeat. And yet in this letter, he speaks of his apostleship. He speaks of the sovereignty of God. He speaks of his fellowship with Young Timothy, he speaks of the church and the fact that it belongs to God. And he speaks of the holy ones of God, those who make up the church. And here he offers a greeting of grace to you and peace from God, our father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, that is a a greeting that I think we should bring back. I just really do. I, 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 have you ever thought about it? Grace and peace to you. It sure beats the wheels off of, hello, or what's up, or whatever, yo, dude, or hey. You know? How about grace and peace to you from the Lord Jesus Christ? I, that just sounds good to me. I mean, I don't know about you guys. As I have been reading this letter, 
2 Corinthians. Something has just overwhelmed me, and I, I wanted to share this with you. It's just, it just keeps kind of welling to me as I go through it. And one of the things that I have found in this letter is the heart of a very devoted man. Okay? See, if, if I, see, and, I, and I've spent some time. I mean, if it took me eight years to teach 1 Corinthians, I've spent a little time in 1 Corinthians. I've been reading 2 Corinthians for a little over a year now, so I've spent a, you know, a little time in 2 Corinthians. All right? And, and what I have seen is that in 1 Corinthians, Paul is telling the Corinthian church what they need to be. Okay, that's, that's dealing with that personal holiness. Okay, because when you deal with the church, you can't just say, well, the pastor needs to be. Okay, the church is a collection of people and they need to be. Okay, and that's what 1 Corinthians is. 2 Corinthians is a fascinating view because it is Paul telling the Corinthian church what he is. It's interesting. This letter is extraordinarily personal. Um, this letter is actually more personal than Philemon. Philemon is personal. You know, I'm going to send him back there. If he owes you anything, put it on my tab. That's kind of personal. But this one's even more. It, it's like the first letter is this letter of, of correction. And second letter is a letter of personal testimony. To say that it is rich, it would be an understatement. Okay? Linsky said this, quote, It is the cross-section of a genuine Christian. Unquote. Me, in my infinite wisdom, I think it's a spiritual x-ray of a genuine Christian. <laughs> That's why Lenski writes great big commentaries and I write little bitty notes. Okay? And I believe that in just a cursory reading and as we study through this letter, uh, you're going to see this. You're going to see what is a genuine Christian? What does it look like? What is the testimony? And as it does it, it will teach us. Um, those who are born again, the, the transformed life is taught in 2 Corinthians. And you know what's amazing about this letter? And I have spent some time with my brother Paul, just a tad. Um, he will teach us through this letter, and it will not be by precept. It will not be by doctrine. It will not be by the law. It will not be by principle. You know what? And it's amazing. It will not even be by reasoned argument. Paul, go read Romans. That, that whole book is nothing but reasoned argument. But he will teach you by example. He will mentor you. He will disciple us. We'll see Paul. If you look at the letters chronologically, this would be the fifth letter of 13. 
If you looked at it chronologically, it would be on the eve of what would be classified his last decade. He literally, at the writing of this letter, 2 Corinthians, has 20 years of ministry behind him. And he's literally, without knowing it, moving into his last 10. Paul himself would be probably in his late 50s. He has served Christ for 20 years. And you know what? He has served Christ long enough to understand ministry. And he has an abiding, a remaining relationship to Christ. Everyone in this room has seen people who got on fire for Jesus, blew out the doors for Jesus, and then fell away. Sometimes they come back, sometimes they don't. Okay? Paul has 20 years. Boom! Straight down to Mark. He's got another 10 in front of him. And you know what's amazing about this? This letter for the Apostle Paul, there is no systematic argument. Okay? There's no real doctrine in this letter. But you know what this letter is overwhelmed by? Passion. Passion. This is the realism of Christianity. This is the genuine Christianity. This is Christianity in its honestness. It's frank. It's straight to the mark. It doesn't beat around the bush. It is unashamed. It is unafraid. And it would do much of us good if we would look at it and say, how do we look compared to this? Because I break the news to you. The same Holy Spirit that fired up the passion in the Apostle Paul is the same one in every one of you. What is spiritual triumph? What is spiritual victory? 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians. And you know what is amazing is? It belongs to all of us. It's not for the elders. It's not for the pastor, the deacons, or Sunday school teachers. It is for all who have entered in to the kingdom of heaven, to the salvation of the Lord Jesus Christ. It, it, you know, it's amazing here, and, and, and I have you know, been in, in, in the ministry a few years here, And uh, some of you have been with me for a long time, and sometimes we get kind of blindsided or backslided or hit in the head or whatever with a few of the negatives. In case you just haven't figured it out yet, ministry has massive negatives. And yet I look at what the Apostle Paul went through in all of his negatives, and the whole time he's just positive as the day is long. I'm running a race set before the Lord Jesus Christ. He's always got a heart of thanksgiving. And listen, this guy took a whooping. However you cut it. And you know what? When I read through there, chapter 11, where he says, and my daily pressure on me for the churches. 
It's, it's kind of amazing. Starts it off with this. Paul the Apostle. This is funny because I watch people debate. Do you, who do you think wrote this letter? Bugs Bunny. I'm, I'm almost positive. Why? It's got wabbit tracks all over it. I, I, I just sit there and I go, oh, a hop beats me. You know, what you, what you start reading it from backwards, frontwards? <laughs> and, and are just now getting it? Paul an apostle. Um, when he throws that out, when you think about that, we always say, well, he's the apostle Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles and all that stuff. But you know what I find in that? There's nothing has changed. There's nothing has altered Paul's sense of duty, his responsibility. It is non-wavering. He does not get distracted. Anybody here been distracted with the walk with Jesus? Just kind of, whoa. <laughs> whoa. <laughs> okay. But he starts it off with Paul the Apostle. You're not going to move me. I don't care what you call me. I don't care if you beat me with sticks. I don't care if I'm shipwrecked. I don't care if I'm stoned and left for dead. I don't care if I'm beat with whips. I am an apostle. Paul, nothing's moving him. I don't care if you bring accusation against me. I am an apostle. He was a messenger. He was sent by Christ. I mean, if you take the word apostle and just leave it in its very generic term, it means it's sent one. It, it, mean, it has to do with an authority who has sent this envoy with a message. And if you think about it, he never wavered on his message and his message were never, he never considered it his. This is God's message. I am nothing but a foghorn. That's it. That's it. And you're not going to make me waver. He was a messenger. He understood that. He understood completely. Now I want you to think about this. He understood completely that he was representing the Lord as Savior. You know what your responsibility is? To represent the Lord as Savior. And you shouldn't swerve from that anywhere. Not his message. Paul understood. Hey, I've been bought and paid for with a price. I was cruising down the old Damascus Road, minding my own business, and daggone if God just flat out didn't invade and overtake my life. I didn't ask Him to. I was doing fine. He was bought with a price, and he understood that that intervention into his life was cataclysmic and supernatural or supernaturally cataclysmic. Guess what? Yours had better have been. Because if it wasn't, it ain't his. The holiness of God intervening into the sinfulness of your heart or my heart should be cataclysmic. Because let me tell you something, brothers and sisters, it is definitely supernatural. And you know what? <laughs> he never wavered. He never moved anywhere. It was right here. You know what? In 1 Corinthians 15, remember he says, and I am the least 
of the apostles. I don't deserve to be an apostle. And you know what? None of you deserve to be in the kingdom of God. I do not deserve to be in the kingdom of God. And if you all of a sudden think that you did something to earn it, you've missed it. And I bet you it wasn't cataclysmic. I remember somebody one time telling me, he said, well, Terry, the reason you're the way you are is that it was such a stark contrast from where you were to salvation. And I just looked at them and the most love that I could bear up. And I said, yours wasn't? Because if yours wasn't, you've got the problem. I don't. What you will see in the writings of the Apostle Paul, you'll see it in this letter uh, a lot, is they were attacking his credentials. That's why he starts it off. Where did this church come from? Paul planted it. Paul was the instrument of God to lay the foundation in which they were standing on in the very day of this writing of this letter. He'd already done it. And yet what happens? Why is he doing that? He's not one of the twelve. Why is he doing it? And you know what? Over and over and over and over, you will see this is Paul's fun foundational argument. Listen, let me explain something to you so that you kind of get a handle on this. Paul would stand up in a synagogue and begin expounding scripture and then tell the fulfillment of that scripture and he had no New Testament to prove it. Which drives me nuts today because I see people who will spout something and nobody ever looks at their Bible. And you just sit there and go, I'm not in the Bible. You know what? And what I've learned is a lot of it is opinion. And you know what? Your opinion is of great value to you. All right? It is of no worth to me. I love you. Okay? Because I have great value in my opinion. But when it's all said and done, what does truth say? Because sometimes you'll find out your opinion wasn't even close. I know, not very often, but sometimes. He must be counted as an apostle of God. How will they hear the word of God if he's not with the authority of God to speak it? I mean, the only reason that I have any reasoning, any authority whatsoever is I just say this is what the Bible says. And that's where I leave it. Now, listen, if you don't want it, don't take it. You know what? And if you disagree with me, fine. And if you would like to speak to me in disagreement to me, that's fine, too. I will warn you. If you don't bring scripture it will be a very short conversation. And I'm not saying that to be arrogant. I'm saying if you disagree with what I have said based on Scripture, you'd better bring Scripture to prove what I said is wrong. And if I say it wrongly on the basis of Scripture, I will stand in front of everybody and say I did it, said it wrong. Okay? Why? That's why we have the book. It's sort of like when you get the swing sets for Christmas, we all try to put them together. And then after about a month of wrestling with it, we go and read the instructions. All right. I've learned that with scripture, read the instructions first. It sure saves a lot of time. 
Paul understood that there was a war and he was a primary target because he was taking this divine message into a pagan society of the Gentiles. And it's just as simple. The attacks that you see on the Apostle Paul are the same and they go all the way back to Genesis 2. Has God said? There's nothing that's changed it. When he planted the church in Corinth, you know where he started? In the synagogue. And you know what their response was? They mocked him. They laughed at him. He's silly. I get that today. Not from the synagogue, but I get it from pastors. Was he self-appointed? How can I trust what he says? See, I don't trust what a person necessarily says unless I know what the text says. If it lines up with what the text says, then I will trust what the person has said. See, what happens, what had happened in the church in Corinth by the writing of 2 Corinthians and happened elsewhere in Galatia, you see it all, all over. The only places I've seen immune to it were Philippi and Thessalonica. All right? But everywhere else I, I see it happening. Okay? I look around today and I see it happening. Um, and what it is, is false come in. Every great heresy through the history of the church, do you know where it came from? Every one of them. Seminaries. We got small and we got really small. Okay, and and then they very seldom ever stop it. They ever fight against it. There are those out there that I believe are self-appointed. They're not God-appointed. And when a false teacher starts rising up, what they have to do is undermine the credibility of the true teacher. Uh, I get this attack. Uh, he's not educated. He has not been to seminary. He has not been to um, a Bible college. He hasn't done, you know, whatever. And basically what they're trying to say is, how can you trust him if he has no formal background in understanding it? What was he doing with Paul? How can you trust him? He wasn't one of the twelve. I mean, the twelve, Barnabas had to take him down to Jerusalem and the twelve weren't even sure they wanted to meet with him. I mean, remember, he was a persecutor. But he says, no, I'm Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. The sent one. I'm a sent messenger of who? Christ. And they want to attack his credibility. Because if you can attack his credibility, then you can undercut his doctrine. All right. Every attack that has come against me is not based on Terry's got this sin and we've seen him out there sinning. Every attack that has come against me was to attack my credibility so that you could undercut what I'm teaching. Every attack. And listen, I've had one or two thousand. 
But that's what they do. And you know what? I have gotten to the point now, all I just look at is the people who are the accusers. I do the same thing as my brother Paul showed me from this letter. You know what it is? Let's look at the fruit. I, you know, gee whiz. Take my accuser's fruit, take my fruit. No problem. Why? You know what? Paul never defended himself. Why? The message spoke for itself. And it was obviously a sin of God or there wouldn't have been so much fruit. Brothers and sisters, you and I are fruit of Paul. <laughs> I mean, let's be realistic about it. It is of Christ. It's not personal achievement. It is of Christ. It's not an educational requirement. It was a divine appointment. Oh yeah! In case you were confused, Choose about it. It was by the will of God. It was a divine appointment. And I tell people in the past, well, how did you know you were called? And I said, I didn't. I was the last man standing. It was awful. <laughs> well, I tell everybody, you take, you take me and take the top one million things I want to be when I grow up. Pastor's not on the list. I wouldn't do this. I don't want to do this. And yet I can't stop doing it. If you want to understand this by the will of God, you see Acts chapter 9. Or you can look at Acts chapter 22. Both of those are reiteration of what happened to him. But the one that I believe that should be preeminent in our lives comes out of 26 of Acts, beginning at verse 15. So you have the context of it. And I said, you, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Okay, so this is what we're, the context that we're looking at, all right? Get up and stand on your feet. For this purpose, I have appeared to you to appoint you a minister and a witness, not only to the things which you have seen, but also to the things in which I will appear to you rescuing you from the Jewish people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you to open their eyes. Now, here it is, verse 18. You had better pay attention to this because if you ain't doing this, you've missed the boat. To open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to life, from the dominion of Satan to God, and that they may receive the forgiveness of sin and the inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. Dude, you can take that verse right there, verse 18, and it permeates every letter Paul wrote. And you know what? You look at this man's 30-year ministry and tell me when did he waver on that bugger. And he went through some stuff now. That was his calling. He understood it. It was not by a council. It was not by a group of men. But it was by God himself. Unwillingly, I read this, unwillingly assaulted by God. <laughs> I thought, yeah. Unwillingly assaulted by God on the Damascus Road. Why are you persecuting me, Paul? He had gone from persecutor to preacher. 
transformed. Then there, back to our text in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, he, he adds, and our brother Timothy. I find that fascinating. And our brother Timothy. Okay? You know what he's, you know what's kind of amazing about that verse right there, that little statement? It doesn't say the apostle Timothy. He said, I am the apostle. And Timothy is my brother. Now, it's amazing if you think about it, because who does he hand the baton of ministry off to? Yeah, Timothy. Not another apostle. And why wouldn't you give it to another apostle? Oh, maybe there wasn't any more. That's an interesting concept, huh? Just an idea. Just an idea. You know, I'm an apostle to the Gentiles and I'm handing it off to Timothy, our brother. Um, Paul wrote 13 letters. Okay. Timothy is mentioned in 10 of them. Okay. Six of them. He is as the greeting, co-greeter of whoever is being written to. Two of the letters are to Timothy. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's fascinating. Okay. They met in Acts 16, Derby and Leicester. Timothy was raised in a godly family. He had a mother and a, a Jewish mother and grandmother who were strong in the scriptures. He had a Gentile father, which if you think about it, would be the perfect fit for what God was going to use Timothy for to reach the Jews and the Gentiles. He was a man of the word. He had heard the word. He had grown up with the word. He had been exposed to the word. And he had saw, he had seen the life of the Apostle Paul. And you know what happened? Paul literally poured his life into him. Literally poured his life into him. He was a disciple. And to the point that at the conclusion of his ministry in 2 Timothy, he, he says, now, Timothy, fulfill your ministry. You see him mentioned in 1 Corinthians 4, 17 and 16, 10 through 11. And he says, I'm sending Timothy to check on you. Why? Because he says, he will bring you into all and to remembrance of all of my ways. When you see Timothy, you might as well be looking at me. Carbon copy. Carbon copy. He is my brother. He was with Paul when he founded the church, Acts 18. Okay, Acts 18, it's really cool. <laughs> you just got to love the Lord. It's sort of like me being senior pastor in Colorado. It's, it just makes you chuckle. Um, Paul had begun doing some teaching exercises in the synagogue in Corinth. Okay, and uh, as he began to expound on Messiah and that Jesus Christ was the fulfillment of Messiah, uh, they began to laugh at him and mock him and jeer him and become shall we call it, agitated with him. And so Paul gets up and he shakes the dirt off. It's a, a colloquialism that says, you know, I'm just shaking off. You're not even worthy of the dirt of my coat. 
and I'm leaving you. But what's funny about the Apostle Paul, he just goes next door. <laughs> okay? <laughs> and then it says that next door, he's preaching and teaching day and night. <laughs> so the synagogue still has to listen to him. And you know what happens? The leader of the synagogue and his entire family gets saved. Crispus. Crispus. <laughs> and it tells us in Acts 18.11 that he was there for a year and a half. And in 1 Corinthians 16.10, he says, When I send you Timothy... Understand, he is doing the Lord's work like me. So the Corinthians knew Timothy. When he write, puts his name here, and our brother Timothy, I, Paul, an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timothy. Oh, you remember Timothy, don't you? Then he says here, to the church of God. We really need to get a hold of this. The church is not a human association. Okay? I see churches today that have people that have a common religious belief. And therefore we what? I've got some friends of mine. I love them to death. Um, I've had some workings in their churches. Uh, they're IFCA. Okay? Independent. Independent something or others. Okay. And basically, they got tired of the bureaucracy of denominations. So they started their own denomination. So they can have their own bureaucracy. And I'm sitting there going, well, what the heck was that? Well, we do it different. And so I've met the president of the IFCA, and I've met some of the regional directors and all the rest of it. And I said... I've got to ask the question. And they said, what's that? What's the difference between that and the Southern Baptist? I said, let me guess. You guys are getting ready to start a college and seminary. Yeah, how'd you know? <laughs> I'm a prophet. <laughs> I, I don't, you know, I'm, I love these guys. Don't get me wrong. Okay, but I, 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 I said and I laugh at this kind of stuff. And I'm sitting there going, it is an association of men. Listen, I have a lot in common with these guys. I don't want to kid yourself. I've got more in common with some of these guys than I do some Southern Baptist. All right, but when I hear them tell me, well, we are non-denominational, we are truly independent, then you're not gods. Because God doesn't have any independence. They are all extraordinarily dependent. And in the book of Acts, chapter 28, he's, uh, is that right? You know, chapter 20, sorry, verse 28. He's saying goodbye to the Ephesian elders. Um, and he tells them that he probably won't see them again. Um, and in verse 28, he makes this statement. Be on guard for yourself and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of who? We have a denomination that calls themselves the church. We're the church of God. I have to tell you, <laughs> there's a whole bunch of churches of God. If it's a true church, guess what? 
Church of God. Why? Because you didn't purchase it with your blood. He did. Therein lies the problem. I remember, uh, I think it was First Baptist of Dallas. Um, Criswell was the pastor there for about 35 years. Something like that. And he got ready to retire. And I mean, this is a, this was a mega church before there was such a thing as mega churches. Okay, I mean, this thing was humongous. Well, it still is. And he got ready to retire. He says, I'm retiring. I'm out of here. I'm going to go. And, and he's well published. Okay, I mean, he, he was published back before there was even paper. But anyway, well, he was. And he used to write on stone. Uh, but this man was an expositor, uh, fiery. It was an understatement. Okay. And he was getting ready to leave and there was murmuring in the church. Now, when you get a church the size of his, murmuring is just sort of shouting because that's, that's a lot of people. And they were murmuring. They're saying, you know what? He just made a bunch of money with all of his books and, you know, and then he was drawing the payroll and everything. He just got all this money. He's going to leave and, and all the rest of it. You know what Criswell did to shut him up? He wrote them a check for 35 years of his salary that they had paid them and gave it back to the church. Okay? Now let me tell you something. <laughs> How to get your attention. He says, no, you will not bring an accusation against me. You know what? Sure did shut up the murmuring. Why? It is the church and who owns it? God. And you know what? If you think because you gave or you did this or you did that, that all of a sudden you've got a bigger stake in this, I'm going to ask you one simple personal question. Have you hung on the cross for her? Because if you don't hang on the cross for her, all right? So it's to the church. It's not a human association. It's a community that belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ. The true belong to God. And it is evident. You see it. It's not by men. It's not by a denomination. It's God's. Now then, if you think about it, at the writing of this letter, the city of Corinth was only about a half a million people. That's a lot of people. Okay. By the way, it was a nasty place. Zodiali says, it gave a new definition to wicked. Okay? Because he says, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, with all the saints who belong in Achaia. So it's not just that place, it's the saints. And literally when you see the saints, what you're seeing is the word separated to God. Those people in Achaia, that southern part of the Greek peninsula, who are separated to God, they are set apart from sin. They are believers in this area and you belong to God and you are part of the ecclesia. That is the word we translate church. This called out group. Okay. If you go to Corinth today, it's a very small town and it really has no, no, no value. At the writing of the two letters to the Corinthians that you have and that I have, um, it was the center of trade. Is the center of trade. Um, it had um, a port, literally two, one on each side of the isthmus. Okay, so you had a lot of sailors. 
Okay, you had a lot of businessmen, and the politicians liked to frequent it there because they liked to worship at the temple of Aphrodite. Do I need to explain that? Okay, get the tape from last week. I guess we don't do tapes. Never mind. Go get the sound from last week. It's somewhere. <laughs> it's, it's, it's sort of, I hear that term. It's voicemail. What the heck is that? Where is that? I think it's in my mailbox. Where is my mailbox? Anyway, it's just, it's just something I struggle with. At the writing of the letter to the Corinthians, there was a common acknowledgement that if you were going to sail around it instead of taking the isthmus across, that no sailor, quote, no sailor sells the point without writing his will. It's very dangerous. Or you paid to have your cargo ship unloaded, hauled across the isthmus, reloaded, and you took off again. And it would save you about 250 miles and the pointing of two seas that would come together and cause problems. The city was conquered and pretty much destroyed in 156, 146 B.C. by the Romans. In 46, 100 years later, Julius Caesar rebuilt it. Okay, Upon Caesar pumping money into the economy there, the population swelled to a little over half a million. It was so thriving and so commercial that it had an Acropolis, a high place where they would worship and they used to defense. Their Acropolis was so big that the half a million population would fit in it. Okay, that's a big Acropolis. I mean, I don't care if you're even cozy. It's still a big Acropolis. This place had gross immorality, idolatry, fornication. If you go by the list out of 1 Corinthians 6, he says many of you used to be it. Effeminates, homosexuality, uh, to the point that if you frequented prostitutes, it was called in the Greek language to Corinthianize. Okay, and God says, I don't put a church right there, right next door to the synagogue. <laughs> but the church was struggling. The world was winning. We looked in years past at factions, the buying in of philosophies, worldliness, lawsuits among the brethren, immorality, even some immorality that was beyond what the pagans would do, abuse of freedom. They abused the Lord's table. They were hassling the singles and they were hassling the married. They had a problem with sex. They had confusion over the resurrection and the proverbial roof was falling in on the church. And in the middle of this, Paul is attacked that we do not believe he is legitimate and he is being attacked by false teachers. Who do you trust? Who is right? When you think about it, 1 Corinthians, written in about 53 or 54 A.D., was well received by many, but not by all. And you had some who were probably offended at his tone on the first three letters, were probably offended by it, and they were beginning to call him a fake, a false. He was not of God. And they were trying their best to destroy what God was doing there, destroying the Apostle Paul's foundation, destroying his work. First letter did have some success. We learned that from Titus. But not everybody. 
And what happens is, is you keep that not everybody in there, a little leaven will do what? Go through the whole lump. Okay, and they began to attack the person and that would grieve the Apostle Paul. And yet it's still a church. Don't ever, don't ever fall into, well, was it? Yes, God doesn't write letters to cults. And not a cult will tell you that they got it, but <laughs> what you'll find, it won't fit his word. He had had some success, some success, but there was a need for rebuke. Okay. Not only that, there's the underlying need of the suffering and poor saints in Jerusalem. And he was trying to get an offering to help assist. But see what happens, brothers and sisters, and it's consistent throughout history. It is consistent to this day is that when you have false, you will find that you have a major group who are victims of sin and victims to sin. Just look around. And yet in all of this, the Apostle Paul has a heart of gratitude. And he's sad. He's sad. He's the pressure of the churches. And then he says this, grace to you and peace. See how that is? I mean, let's be realistic now. We went through this last week. This is his fourth letter. We have one that they responded to. And he answers them in chapter 7 of 1 Corinthians. After he rebukes them in the first six chapters. Okay, then we have the severe letter that he speaks of in this letter, okay, which does not, has never been found, which if the Apostle Paul said it was a severe letter, go read 1 Corinthians. And then they, there was one worse than this. <laughs> wow, <laughs> dude, no wonder it didn't make it into the Bible. Okay, and yet with that, there still is some response. It's positive. And even with that battle, even with the riot and nearly losing his life and not sure where everybody is from the church in Ephesus, he's got all this going on in his life and he's trying to get money for the poor saints in Jerusalem who are just starving and are under a persecution. They've been at synagogue. They're not allowed to be in a church. They're not allowed to do business among Jews. They're, do, they're getting nasty place. I mean, a church, I mean, you can sit and tell me, well, I'd like to see the church grow. You really want to see this place turn five grand in one day. And none of them have a job. Ready? You want that? That's what's going on in Jerusalem. And they all of a sudden ain't going to work. Why? Well, because I believe in Christ. And they won't hire me to do nothing. Uh Uh-oh. Well, that's all right. Church is going to take care of you. How many you want? I think if the church is successful, we send everybody out. <laughs> Sorry. That sounds awful, doesn't it? Here he says, grace and peace to you. Grace and peace to you. See, grace is God's favor. Peace is one of the benefits of God's favor. This is Paul's wish. This church has got some knuckleheads. And I want you to have grace and peace. I want you to have God's favor and the peace of having God's favor. Wow! No matter the work, 
No matter the tribulation, no matter how trying it is, no matter how troublesome it is, and no matter how many weak people you got, I want you to have grace and peace. Yes. That's awesome. <laughs> but that's the passion of the man. In the turmoils and the trials of everything that's going on, he said, I want you to be faithful. Why? Because there's grace and peace to faithfulness. Give all that we have in the service of Christ. Are you ready for that? See, that's what we're going to see. Because it is from the heart of a man who has given all he had for service of Christ. But look what I want you to see this because from our God and Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because you know what? As he struggled through this, as he was fighting with this, as he had just about lost his life in this, as he had been shipwrecked and beaten and, and, and mocked and, and jeered and, and they tried to kill him, they wanted to crucify him and they're going to do all this stuff to him. You know what he looked at and says, the people are God's. The strength to do this is God's. Oh, by the way, the glory in its completion is God's. All right? So now you can see when we move into comfort, into trouble, where will the glory be? Where will the strength be? And where will you focus when the trouble comes knowing that nothing can come upon you except what God ordains so that He may be glorified? And you know what? You're going to have to spend the next few years in all of these chapters looking at a man who lived what he preached. And he's calling you and I this day to live what we preach. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for my brother Paul. Thank you for your for your precious church. Lord, we now, only now, know in part, and it's feeble at best. And yet, Father, there's coming a time when we will know as we are known and yet, Father, you set Paul before us and our brother Timothy as men to pattern our lives after. Father, help us to walk in a manner worthy. Help us to walk in the magnitude of the glory of the risen King. Father, may we rest in full assurance that what you have started you shall complete. And Father, even if we staggered and stumbled this day, Your forgiveness, Your grace, Your peace is there for us even then. Help us. Help us to run the race without the entanglements to the glory of You and You alone. In Christ's name, Amen.